Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from Psalm 2. You can find it in your Pew Bibles on page 844. Page 844. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Thus ends our reading of God's unchanging word. May all who hear it take refuge in the Son. Last week we looked at Psalm 1, and there we saw that the blessed man meditates on God's word day and night. This man loved the Lord, the God, Lord his God so much that he submitted himself to God's authority. In our society today, we are seeing less and less of this. There is a, a movement to redefine everything that God's word has already declared. In, in an attempt to take away our, our guilt and our shame, we have changed the meanings of words. And we have created some new ones along the way as well. An unborn baby is now called a fetus. Defining marriage as a union between a man and a woman will not be tolerated. And the words male and female, they no longer hold any meaning. There is this continuous push against the boundaries that God has created in his order. And it's not as if there is one person making all these decisions for us, as if the rest of us are just lemmings following blindly. No. These are the corporate sins of our nation. And in some respect, we are all to blame. Last week, as we, as we took a look at Psalm 1, we saw that God is concerned with the heart of the individual. This week, 
Psalm 2 shifts our focus and places it on the nations and, and the ruling authorities. It, it lifts the reader up and makes, makes you look at the world from a grand stage. It is that overarching view of the earth and all of its turmoil. Now, a, a basic outline for this psalm goes as follows. In verses 1 through 3, we see a demonstration of the rebellious nature that these nations have. And then in verses 4 through 6, we see, we see a shift in scenery. The, the reader is lifted up into the heavens and, and shown God's reaction to such insolence. Then, in verses 7 through 9, God makes his decree. And finally, in verses 10 through 12, we see a call for the nations to repent. Now, this psalm was written by David, and it was probably a coronation song, either for when David became king or, more likely, for when his son Solomon received the crown. The, the purpose behind such a song was, was twofold. First, it, it gave warning to the nations who were vassal states under Israel. This entrance of a new king should not be taken as an opportunity to rebel. Second, this song gave assurance to the people that this new king had been chosen by God. And he would be able to subdue all of their enemies. You see, changes in the throne often created political instability. If there was ever a time for a lesser nation to attack, it would be as a newly crowned king was first establishing himself upon the throne. And it was not uncommon for these smaller nations to, to form alliances, taking advantage of an inexperienced ruler. And we see such plotting in verses 1 through 3. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Now this question of why that the author throws out there is, is more of a remark of astonishment than it is an earnest desire to know the reasoning behind such actions. The psalmist already knows the, the outcome of such schemes. He knows of the futility of their efforts. You see, it, it isn't just a newly crowned king that they are plotting against, but they are making themselves enemies against the Lord himself. Now, this word that is used here, this word plot, is, a, is the same Hebrew word that we saw in Psalm 1, verse 2, that gets translated there as meditate. Just as the, the blessed man meditated on God's word, here these, these nations spent all their time thinking of ways that they could take their stand against God and against his anointed one. Of course, this word anointed one is 
is a reference to the king. It was on the the day of a king's coronation that, that he would be anointed with oil. This new ruler would first pledge his fidelity to God and God's covenant. And once such a commitment was made, then he would receive his crown and oil would be poured over his head, demonstrating that God's blessing was upon his life. You see, he is that blessed man from Psalm 1. And so we see in these first few verses that these vassal nations, these these ones who desire to smash the chains and rid themselves of this new king, they would also be declaring war against God Almighty. For it was God who established this man upon the throne. They, They wanted to break free from their shackles and take their sovereignty back. It was a grasp for power and a rejection of God's authority. How would God respond to such insolence? Verses 4 through 6. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. The scene now shifts to the heavens where we gain a view of the real king of this world. God God sees the plans of these wicked men and he laughs in derision. He, He finds it humorous that these little rulers believe that they can thwart his will. And so the Lord rebukes them in his anger. This word for anger comes from the the Hebrew word af. Phonetically, it it is the sound that an angry bull would make through his nostrils. Something like that, af. And often this word is translated as nose or nostrils or sometimes even face. But it holds the definition of anger as well. And and the context here in this passage demands such a translation. It it is a word picture demonstrating the fury of God. He is is like that bull that is ready to charge, huffing and, and snorting and intimidating his opponent. And so these schemers, they are rebuked and terrified. For the wrath of Yahweh has become known to them, known to them through his anointed one. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. God's earthly response to such wicked devising shows up in the form of a king. He reminds them of his power and might through his chosen ambassador. It is from the line of David that God will establish his kingdom. And this man shall rule from Zion, that heavenly city on a hill, where the Lord has made his presence known. 
It is from Jerusalem that, that God extends his reign from heaven throughout the earth. God has chosen his king, and no other will take his place. Verses 7 through 9. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Here we see the decree of the Lord, these irrevocable words. God is making a statement to his people and to his enemies, but most importantly, to his anointed one. You are my son. Today, I have become your father. God is establishing his relationship with his chosen king. This adoption metaphor, it, it has its roots in the special covenant relationship between Yahweh and David. We read about this in our first scripture reading. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Here we see this special relationship between God and David's son. Now in the immediate context of this passage, it's referring to Solomon, the son who would replace David from his throne. Yet throughout Israel's history, all of the Davidic kings would be known as God's adoptive sons. And here... In this psalm, we see once again that this anointed one is called God's son, demonstrating the immense favor of Yahweh upon this new king. And we also see that the nations will be his inheritance. Now, an inheritance is a gift. There, there is nothing that the son has to do to earn such a possession. It's his birthright. What was promised to Abraham, that, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring, is beginning to see its fulfillment through this king. And we see that the son's rule would, would not be challenged at either. 
for he is strong and he is fierce. None can withstand him. In fact, all those who oppose him, those, those schemers who plot in vain, they'll be smashed to pieces like pottery being thrown upon the rocks. Now, even though these verses speak to us of Solomon, a king who had complete control over his empire, Solomon was just a shadow of the greater king that was to come. Jesus fulfills these verses more than any other ruler. He is God's only begotten son. And his, his kingdom expands to the whole of the earth. And his rule is unyielding. Verses 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, your rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God now demonstrates his great patience in warning these kings. He desires that they assess their situation and repent of their wickedness. Instead of vying for control and power, they should remember the one who put them on their thrones to begin with and why he placed them there. They were to be representatives of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were to advance God's glory and not their own. Therefore, they should rule with joy and trembling. Joy in the fact that, that God has shown them his mercy and his grace. Trembling in the fact that he is a righteous God whose justice is swift and thorough. And because of this, they should kiss the sun. In the ancient Near East, a, a subject would bow down and kiss the hem of a king's garment showing submission and loyalty to their leader. These scheming rulers needed to repent and submit themselves to the son's authority. They were to acknowledge his dominance. For, for loyalty to God cannot be separated from loyalty to his anointed one. In this coronation psalm, we, we see two things being accomplished. First is a call for those who would oppose God's will and God's chosen king to repent and to submit, lest they fall under the wrath of God. But second, it is a, is a reminder to those who, who already trust in the Lord that he is in control. His will cannot be thwarted. And if they take refuge in him, they will be blessed. 
America is not ruled by a king. We don't have vassal nations underneath us, at least not in the, in the same respect that we see here in this psalm. Yet even though our politics have changed, the, the, the wretched condition of the human heart has not. The nations still conspire and, and people still plot in vain. Our culture wants to, to break free from the chains of God's authority that is over them. And, and the church is left with the challenge of being a witness for Christ in a society that hates God. Unfortunately, the body of Christ has too often taken the path of least resistance. At the at the turn of the 19th century, it was science that challenged the authority of God's word. And for the most part, it was the mainline churches that, that caved to the whims of the people. And while they saw an immediate uptick in their attendance, the message they preached was void of the true God. And therefore, empty of God's saving grace. Such churches have dwindled ever since. Today, the, the debate has shifted. Science is no longer the strategy of the people. Rather, it is an argument for autonomy or a radical individualism. You live in a culture where people do not think of themselves as creatures living in a created world. Rather, they are the creators of their own world, a world where they make up the rules. Nowhere is this expressed more than in our technology of today. This is why video games such as Minecraft are so popular, for they, they play into that idea that you can create a world all your own. And, and social media platforms have keyed in on this same urge. I mean, think about Facebook for a moment. There you can control who you can and cannot see, who, who you want to exist in your world and who you don't want to exist in your world. If a person challenges your authority by disagreeing with your worldview, you can banish them from your realm with a simple click of a button. You control whom you see and what you see. You become a, a, a little god in your, your own digital kingdom. And, and because we live in such a society, debate is no longer tolerated. It is, it is this that has left the church in a quandary as to how to evangelize a culture that will no longer listen. And it is for, for this reason that we see evangelical churches caving to the new cultural norms in order to keep up their numbers. and To do that, they must look attractive to the world. It's the, the same foolish path that the mainline churches went down. Instead of having Jesus as their anointed king, they too want to throw off the chains. <clears throat> Yet the one enthroned in heaven laughs. 
brothers, sisters, you have a decision to make as well. Will First Congregational Church be a place where God's rule is taken lightly? Will you conspire and, and plot in the hopes of pleasing men? Or will you serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling? Will you kiss the Son lest he be angry? Dear friends, God has installed his king on Zion, on his holy hill. Christ is his son, and the nations are his inheritance. He rules over them with an iron scepter, and all those who take refuge in him will be blessed. For Jesus died for the sins of the world, even the corporate sins. He, he went to the cross and suffered for the nations who conspire against him. And he took upon himself the, the, the punishment for, the, for those people who plot in vain. Listen, the church doesn't need to fear society's attacks. You, you don't have to give in to the, to the new morality to evangelize. For God's anointed one is sitting upon his throne. And he is powerful enough to change a person's heart by the truth that is in his word. And when kings and rulers repent, when they trust in him, they will be saved. When, when nations turn from their wicked ways and when people place their faith in the Son of God, they will be rescued from the wrath to come. And when you forego that little kingdom that you are trying to build, when you submit to the King of Kings, you will be blessed, for blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we as a people have turned our backs on you. We no longer trust in your word. We plot and scheme trying to come up with new ways to undermine your son, Help us to repent of our wickedness. May we kiss the Son and take refuge in Him. It is only through the cross of Christ that, that we can receive your blessing. So we ask now that you would produce faith within us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.